We are looking at uh, relationships this series, uh, this semester. We said at the beginning uh, of the semester that the quality of our life is best measured by the quality of our relationships, our relationships that Jesus has come to make healthy, happy, whole again. So relationships with God, with, uh, with ourself, with one another, uh, and with the world around. Uh, and we're coming now to um, sort of a, a part of our semester where, re- where we are really going to focus on just the relationships that we have outside of ourselves, sort of at a human uh, level, starting with uh, the relationship that we have with our parents. Uh, to guide this part of our discussion, we're going to look at a passage from Psalm 24 and then from Ephesians uh, 6. So I'll go ahead and read that now. Psalm 24, 1 reads this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world uh, and all who live in it. Or the earth is the Lord's and everything. Yeah, it's right there. Uh, And then Ephesians 6, um, starting at verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, and we could add mothers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's word, and since it's his and not mine, I'm going to ask that he would help us to understand it. Father, thanks for bringing us together. Thanks for giving us your word. Just your son made flesh, who came to seek and save the lost. Uh, you've given us the scriptures that point to him. And I pray to you, would give us your spirit now so that we might see what needs to be seen and hear what we must hear, that we would receive, believe, and be saved. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Well, the first point that I really want to make uh, tonight is that uh, parents are stewards. Uh, they're not owners of the life and the lives that God has entrusted to them. Um, We are stewards, not owners, of the life and the lives that God entrusts to our care. This really is the first point. Where am I getting that? I'm getting it from Psalm 24.1. Again, uh, which reads, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. right? The world and all who live in it. The Bible cannot say this any clearer. It's saying that everything and everyone belongs to God. Which means that everything that we have we have on loan. Everything that we have, we have as a gift, uh, which is something that we should treasure, but it's also something that we should love open-handedly, ready uh, to return to God if and when he asks for it. We are stewards, not owners of the life and the lives that God entrusts to our care. And I think this simple fact will radically alter the way that you see life, not just your life, but all of life uh, on planet Earth. See, owners can do whatever they want with their property, but stewards, not so much. Stewards have the great privilege of getting to manage or to oversee something that's in their possession, but they aren't free to do whatever they want with it. You say, well, why? It's because at the end of the day, it's not their property. At the end of the day, that person, that place, or that thing belongs to somebody else. So stewards have a responsibility to love, to care for, to manage, to oversee something, to oversee someone in the same way that the owner would, in the same way that God would. Uh, When Coulter was still alive and you got to pet sit him, we would often print out a set of instructions and we would leave that on sort of the counter. 
give them three walks a day, give them two scoops of food with every meal, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the expectation, right, is that you would love him and care for him uh, in the same ways that we would love him and care for him. Right? Not that you would do whatever you want, but that you would love him like we did. Right? And the exact same principle applies to parenting. Right? God entrusts parents with new life, and it's a great and awesome and holy responsibility. But parents don't own their kids. Parents get to steward God's kids, right? children who belong to God. The question, I think, then, is what sort of instructions does he leave with us? Right? We left instructions for the pet setting of culture, but what sort of instructions does God leave with us? What are the two scoops a meal, three walks a day sort of details that we're supposed to follow? And that brings us to Ephesians 6. Uh, what are God's instructions for parents, and what are his instructions for children? How do we steward these roles and these responsibilities well? And I think it's appropriate that we would start with our parents and really start with 6.4. Okay, Ephesians 6.4 reads, Fathers and mothers, don't provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline, I could say the training and instruction of the Lord. The second point really is this. Parents have a twofold responsibility. They have a responsibility to teach their children and to correct right, their children. Right? Positively speaking, parents are to teach their kids who God is and who they, right, their children are. Right? Persons made in God's image. Right? Dearly beloved children. Right? Parents are there to help establish good boundaries and to show their kids how life works best on planet Earth. Okay, because we live in a cosmos and not some chaotic accident, right, there is a created order to things. There is, as it were, a grain to the universe. And life works best uh, when you go with the grain. It hurts when you go against it. Parents have a responsibility to teach their children this, right? To, to teach them in the, the ways that they should go, right? Life, when it goes with the grain, is smooth, right? Against the grain, it's rough. Go this way, it's going to work well for you. This way, right, splinters. Right, and these are lessons that are taught as well as caught, right? We all, as children, we pick them up through verbal instruction and then through lots and lots of, like, real-life practice, I don't mean this next point to sound controversial, but part of good parenting is letting kids experience pain when they go against the grain. Our mistakes and our failures can be some of our best teachers. But in order to teach us, they need to grab our attention. And in order to grab our attention, we need to experience pain when we go against the grain. Right? Pain is sort of like this great signal from the brain being like, hey, this is important, like, Pay attention, learn. And if we're not experiencing pain when we go against the grain, it's hard for us to learn from our mistakes and our failures. In Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee, uh, Jerry Seinfeld tells Trevor Noah, who's the host of The Daily Show, that if you miscalculate and you make the wrong decision, you needed to know that. Pain is knowledge rushing in to fill a gap. He says, like, when you walk and you stub your toe on, like, that foot of the bed, that was a gap in your knowledge, right? And pain is a lot of that information quickly filling in that gap, right? We can learn a lot 
uh, from our mistakes and our failures if parents are doing their job in letting us experience, right, sort of the consequences of some of our actions. A good mom and dad lets his or her kids experience age-appropriate consequences, which we could call safe suffering, so that they will learn not to make the same mistake twice. Okay, discipline is to be distinguished from abuse, which is destructive, and punishment, which seeks a payment. Paul says here in verse 4 that parents are not to provoke their children to anger. Don't abuse your authority. Don't be arbitrary or unfair. Don't constantly nag or humiliate your child or disregard their needs and sensibilities. And what's more, the Bible says, don't make them pay for their mistakes. That's something that Jesus did already. Jesus paid for all of our mistakes, all of our sins, uh, at the cross. Uh, It's on the cross that he took all of the punishment that our sins and shortcomings deserve. Which means that if you are in Christ, there is no more punishment. There is no more condemnation for you. There is no threat of loss of love. You are now a dearly beloved son, a dearly beloved daughter. But because you are that, God disciplines you. He disciplines the ones that he loves. He allows you to safely suffer the consequences of your actions, not because he's mean or he's mad, but because he loves you and he is committed to your growth. In fact, the Bible says that a mom or dad who doesn't discipline their child hates their child. And that's really forceful language. But I want to illustrate what I think the Bible is trying to get across there. Um, it was about 10 years ago that someone close to me, someone like in my life, his life was spiraling out of control because of drug and alcohol abuse. He would get drunk and crash his car, and then his parents would go and buy him a new one. He lost his job because he was high all the time. Because he lost his job, he couldn't pay rent. So his parents bought him a house. Now, normally, his painful actions would have resulted in painful consequences, right? Get high, lose your job, ouch, I don't want to do that anymore. But because his parents bailed him out again and again and again, which is to say there was no discipline in his life, his life situation grew worse and worse and worse, and he nearly died from a drug overdose. I called up my mom, and I was talking to her about this, and she told me an unforgettable story, which I want to share with you tonight. We could call it the tale of two moms. Once upon a time, there was a mom who told her son not to jump out the window. Despite her warnings, the son did so anyways. He jumped out of the second-story window, he broke his leg, and his mom saw all of this go down. Now, when it happened, she went to her son, she wiped away his tears, and then she drove him to the hospital. And on the way to the hospital, she told her son, I told you not to jump out of windows. And you know what happened? The boy never jumped out of windows again. There's another mom. We call her mom number two. She, too, told her son not to jump out of windows, and he, too, ignored her warnings. But unlike mom number one, mom number two was always under the window to catch him. Don't jump out of windows, she'd laugh nervously each time. But he went on 
ignoring her. Why not? He kept jumping and she kept catching. And the more she caught, the more he jumped. And the more she caught, the riskier he became, jumping from higher and higher windows, the second floor, the third floor, the fourth floor, the fifth. On and on it went until finally she couldn't catch him anymore. When he jumped from the tenth floor, the weight of the impact crushed her and him. What should have been a broken leg way back when resulted in two broken lives ten stories later. The moral of the story is parents are stewards, not owners of the lives that God has entrusted to their care. And this role of responsibility comes with a set of instructions. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Right? Teach your children and train them in the way that they should go. Right? With the grain, not against it. I think as parents, especially in an age of like helicopter parenting, this means that we've got to give our children right, the freedom to fail. Right? For goodness sakes, to let them learn right, from their mistakes. Because if we don't, like, we're, just, we're like that second mom right? in that story. If those are the instructions for parents, are there a similar set of instructions for us kids? Well, indeed there are. And let's look at this passage again starting at verse 1, going through verse 3. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise attached to it, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. I don't know if you caught it, but there really are two instructions in this passage, right, to honor and to obey. The command to honor our parents is actually the fifth commandment, which Paul cites here in verses 2 and 3. This is something that we're always supposed to do, no matter who we are, where we come from, how old we are, right? We never get beyond honoring our parents. It's something that's always, you could say, expected of us. However, there's another set of instructions. Uh, In verse 1, Paul writes, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Now here Paul has in mind persons of a certain age, Right? Youth who are not yet adults. We'll say, well, how old? <laughs> well, the answer to that question really varies from culture to culture right? and across time and space. At the Banff Mountain Film Festival, um, I watched a movie of a Mongolian boy, he was maybe 11 or 12, herding sheep across this snowy mountain pass with his father. Right? He was well on his way to becoming a young man. When I was 11 or 12, I was watching tons of television and owning Mario Kart, (laughs) not herding horses and livestock over mountain passes, right? He was more mature than me. (laughs) Every culture at least recognizes that there comes a time in your life, though, when you're no longer a child and you become an adult. And it's at that time that you graduate from obedience to your parents, right? You never graduate from honoring them, but you do graduate from obeying. Right? Children, obey your parents. When does that happen for you? Like, when do you graduate from obedience? Well, I'd say that has less to do with age and has more to do sort of with the stage of life. You know that you're an adult uh, when you no longer depend upon your parents for your livelihood, when you can make it out there on your own. 
And this is why the age and stage of life that you're in right now is so weird and so confusing. Right? As college students, as undergrads and grads. On the one hand, you're out there on your own. Right? You wake yourself up, you get yourself to class, you stay out late with no curfew, right? you're taking on more and more adult responsibilities. However, at the same time, the odds are you probably still depend on your parents for all sorts of things. The odds are they're still paying your insurance, still paying for your food, still paying your rent, still paying your tuition, etc. And in that sense, you're still a child. And this is why you're sort of in this gray zone between childhood and adulthood. And it's why your relationship with your parents is maybe more confusing now than it has ever been. And why when you go home, you're having these tense interactions of like, why are you telling me I need to be home by midnight? When I am in Vermont, no one is giving me a curfew. And it's like, I'm not a child anymore. And it's, but you're under my house and it's my house and my rules, that sort of stuff, right? You're sort of untangling this as your parents are trying to sort out how do I relate to my child who's becoming adult and you're trying to understand how do I relate to my parents as I begin to grow up and I'm no longer a child under like who's as dependent on them. Does that make sense? Like when you're three, you look to your parents for everything. Like you depend on them for everything. But if you're still doing that at 33, something's wrong. Right? The relationship changes. It's supposed to, right, as we get older. I simply want to point that out to you. I simply want you to be sensitive to this fact that you're in this weird stage. Right? You're in this time of transition. Um, you're going to graduate eventually from this obey your parents but you're never going to graduate from honoring them. I simply would say this, like if something to keep in mind, okay, if your parents are going to pay for your life, they do have a right to ask a little bit more of you. And if they're footing all of your bills, they do have a right to ask more of you until you become financially independent, right? Just be cognizant of that. A day is coming when you will graduate from obedience. However, you don't graduate from honor. Honoring our parents is something that we're always supposed to do. Now, in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are found, the word that gets translated honor is the same word for glory. It's that Hebrew word kabod, something that we saw, we looked at a couple of weeks ago. To honor our parents is to recognize the importance or the weightiness or the significance that they play in our lives. Right, to honor our parents means to treat them like they matter. Practically speaking, here are some suggestions. Give some weight to what they have to say. Maybe trust that your parents aren't actually complete and utter idiots. They might know a thing or two about life. Now, Will is only three, but already she's like grabbing this out of my hand and being like, oh, let me do it. Right? There, right? Papa John is going to be like slow when it comes to knowing how to deal with all the gadgets and gizmos, right, of the future. But your parents know some things or two about like life. They're a little bit, they're kind of at mile marker 
37, 47, whatever. <laughs> kind of know it's coming. Another way you can honor your parents, you can call them. You pick up the phone, you can call them. You can text them. Uh, you can say thanks. Just thanks for all that they're doing in your life right now. Thanks for all that they've done to kind of get you here. The third way, you can seek to have a good relationship with them. Now, sometimes that's not possible. Uh, sometimes, despite your best efforts, right, that relationship is just not going to be what it's meant to be. And that's sad and that's painful. Um, like, you can't control what other people do. You can only control what you do, right? Like, you are responsible for your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, no one else's. With that in mind, I think to say that the gospel really does, and when I say gospel, I mean everything that God has done for us in Jesus, right? It really does push us in the direction of peace and reconciliation. When we see the great lengths that God has gone to to reconcile us to himself, it begins to move us in new ways and say, oh, right, like I can move and pursue peace, reconciliation with other people, other people who have hurt me, and sometimes... That's our parents. They, they've hurt us the most. Um, this requires grace. It requires humility. It requires forgiveness. Again, you might not be able to control the outcome, but can you take some steps to try to move it in that direction? It's one way of honoring them. And finally, one of the greatest ways that we can honor our parents is just by trying to become responsible, loving adults. Um, establishing good boundaries. And if you ever have the grace, sort of the privilege of getting to steward a young life, right, to be the best parent that you can be, I mean, that's another way of just honoring them. Um, I know that our relationship with our parents is complicated. Um, I know this as a son. I know this as a father. Some of you have really great parents and some of you not so great. But all of them, the great parents and the not so great ones, all of them have failed. They've all failed in some ways, right? Great or small to, sh to show you, like to reflect to you the true and the perfect love of your good, good father in heaven. Now, I want to be the best dad that I can be, but already, like, I've failed to do that, right? I I've... I'm not going to do that perfectly for Willa. The point is that your parents need Jesus. The point is that you need Jesus. The point is that I need Jesus. We need him to ace this test for us. And we need him to pay the price for our failures. Right? To come to live a perfect human life so that we can have a perfect human record in him. And then to take all that heaping mass of failure and to like to absorb the punishment for it, to take it away from us too. So there, there's nothing standing in the way of a good relationship with our Father. Right? Jesus has done both of these things. We've got a good, good Father in heaven, and he has a good, good Son, which means we've got a good, good brother in Jesus. He's brought us home to God, and it's in that context of that loving home environment with our Father again that we begin to learn to love it's a process, it takes time, and it happens in this order.
It starts when we're reconciled to God. And as we're reconciled to God and we begin to learn his love, like it begins to change our relationships. For, like this, when we get right vertically, it begins to sort of affect our horizontal relationships. As a mentor of mine would say, you know, we cannot give away what we don't possess. Right? We need to receive God's grace before we can extend it to others. To receive his love before we can actually begin to share it with others and it would begin to sort of infiltrate our relationship with our moms and our dads. Um, it's been a distracted week for me, um, losing Coulter on Sunday. Um, I, uh, there's a lot to say, I suppose, about what it means to be a good mom, a good dad, what it means to be a good son, a good daughter. Um, I would love to talk to you over coffee or lunch about these things. I hope that tonight I was able to sketch out a little bit of what that looks like, right? We are stewards, not owners, of the lives that God entrusted us. That could be the life of our pets. It could be the life of our children. If you ever have them, it's, it, it's, it includes your life. Our parents have a responsibility to teach and to train to instill in us a sense of who God is and who we are and how to live life well, to allow us to suffer, safely suffer, right, the consequences of our actions. And we have a responsibility to obey them and then we graduate from obedience and then to honor them. Let's pray.